Choir, I give that one a 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10 to by faith. What a great song and what a wonderful job y'all did leading us in worship as we consider this reality. The text of the song says we walk by faith and not by sight. Today Jesus will be talking about the sort of sight that is faith. The sort of sight that is faith. Faith. I ask you the question today, can you see? We're reading all of chapter 9 uh, from the Gospel of John. It's 41 verses. I'm going to ask you to remain seated as we hear the word of the Lord this morning. If you'll open up your Bibles, uh, you can see John chapter 9 verses 1 through 41. It's 1233 in the Pew Bible. 1233 in the Pew Bible. Thank you, Renee Pierce, for stepping in, for Sharon. Her Sharon's son, Britton, got married last night, and so Sharon is uh, not here today, and so Renee is stepping in for us. Thank you, Renee, for being here with us this morning. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. The so words on this page are being read. God himself is speaking to you. Beginning verse 1. As he passed, he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, It is he. And others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, Where is he? And he said, I do not. No. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And so the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe, verse 18, that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And they asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. His parents, verse 22, said these things because they feared the Jews. 
For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Let's pray together. Lord, would you open our hearts and minds today to receive your word, and God, would you allow us to be changed by it? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I've gotten older, as I've become an adult, I've looked back on my childhood. I've realized something. It's dawned on me in the last several years. The 90s were weird. It was a weird time to grow up. There were a lot of weird things going on in the 90s. Uh, A lot of weird trends. You had the Macarena. You had Pogs. You had Hanson. You had hemp necklaces. There were just a lot of weird things going on. In the 90s. However, to me, one of the strangest things, one of the funniest trends, the weirdest things that happened was the magic eye poster trend. Y'all know what I'm talking about? If you've ever uh, been to a doctor's office in the 90s, you've experienced this. You look at it at face value, and these posters just look like a wild sort of pattern of of images. It's it's sort of this repeated Jackson Pollock painting-looking kind of situation. But if you put your nose on the poster, y'all can see what I mean by weird, and, and slowly back away, as you back away, suddenly an image appears. You stare at the poster long enough, boom, there's a unicorn. Whoa, it's an orca whale. All of a sudden, these images start to pop up. I was always the kid that never saw anything. <laughs> Sit there, I could stare at that poster. I looked them up online. I tried again. Got my uh, nose on my laptop, slowly backing away, doing my best. I'm standing there. I wish I could see the Eiffel Tower. I cannot see the Eiffel Tower. All I see is static. Can you see? Are your eyes 
working correctly? Is your gaze fixed upon what it ought to be fixed upon? You see, what we see impacts what we do. What we see impacts what we do. And so I ask you today, what do you see? Are you looking at the right things? Are you able to see what God would have you see? You see that great hymn that the choir just sang? talks about how we walk by faith and not by sight. That means the things we can physically see, the things we can really get our hands around. But here today, Jesus is asking us, do you have the kind of sight that is faith? Are you looking in the right places? Are you looking spiritually at Christ? I want to present to you this morning three questions rooted in this text. Three questions to help you diagnose your spiritual sight. Here's the first one. Can you see the work of God? Can you see the work of God? That's our first point this morning. Can you see the work of God? Brothers and sisters, I want you to know something. Our sin has blinded us to the way God works. Our sin has blinded us to the way God works. We want to see what God is doing, and we must, though, have the sort of sight that God grants that allows us to see what we need to see. You'll note in verses 1 and 2 what the disciples asked. It's a poignant question, and it's one that I believe every human being at one level or another has asked themselves in different situations. Listen to what the Bible says. His disciples ask him in verse 2, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? In other words, there were some assumptions in this day about the nature of sin and grace that sort of implied that if someone had some terrible thing that had happened to them, that it was something that their parents or that they had done that caused them be born blind. In fact, this theological question that the disciples are asking uh, is kind of rooted in some rabbinical teaching of the day that would say if a mother, for example, offered a, 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 a sacrifice to a pagan idol when she was pregnant, that the, that the child was sinning with her. And so they're asking this question, what led to this man's blindness? The Lord's answer is beautiful. Listen to what he says. He says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. It's a testimony of grace. This man was blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so we see that, I believe the Bible teaches that all the maladies in this world, whether it be blindness or cancer or death, period, they're all rooted in sin in general. But here I believe Jesus is, is turning on its head the notion that all direct maladies, all direct sicknesses, all direct problems must have a direct correlation to a specific sin. I, I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. I think Jesus is, is getting rid of that idea here. He gives this testimony of grace. This man was born blind in order that, that God might be glorified, in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. And Jesus goes on to talk. He says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one 
can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus is showing the way that he is motivating us to to reach others, and he's showing the way that, that he is the true light of the world. And so this whole section here, uh, John is trying to show us that Jesus is the light of the world. Then our Lord, of course, performs a miraculous sign. He makes mud with his saliva. He applies it to the man's eyes and tells the man to go wash in the pool of Siloam. The man goes, he washes, and he can see a, a miracle that up until this point, had never happened, according to the sources then and today. Now, I don't know if God had ever done that miracle before, but, but most people assumed that he had it. I ask you this question this morning, brothers and sisters. Can you see the work of God? Can you see what God is doing? Do you see the way that even Jesus' disciples were sort of caught up in false ways of thinking? They were trying to figure out whether or not this man had sinned or not. They're thinking about that. And what does Jesus see when he sees a man born blind? He sees this as an opportunity to demonstrate the glory of God, the works of God. He sees it as an opportunity for obedience. He sees it as an opportunity for this beautiful picture of the gospel that God heals even those who are blind. Jesus is fulfilling Old Testament prophecy that says that when the Messiah comes, the, 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 the blind will receive sight. Can you see? Can you see the work of God? Can you see that the gospel is primarily what matters? You see, we think that what God is doing is so often that which we can get our hands on, that which we can get our minds around, that which is practical if we send people on a mission trip what do we want to know exactly how many people got saved we put money in something we want to get immediate results we're so addicted to being able to see things sometimes brothers and sisters the work of god is not as conspicuous as we might like it to be Sometimes we miss that it's the gospel that is what primarily matters. That it's doing what God has asked us to do that matters the most. It's our obedience and then it's up to God to bear the fruit. Let me ask you this question. Is your mind shaped by the word? Are you focused on the work of God? When Jesus encounters a problem, he thinks about how is it that God's works can be displayed here. Is that the same thing we do in our own lives? Is your life characterized by God's mission? Not always. Sometimes we encounter people. We see them more as a burden than an opportunity. Sometimes we encounter problems and we see them more as a burden than an opportunity. We encounter issues and we're trying to figure out exactly who did what wrong and when and why it is that that happened all the while. God is showing us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to see and to demonstrate and to participate in the works of God. Will you commit to focusing on the works of God in your life? That's our first point. Can you see the work of God? And if you can't, and perhaps your spiritual sight is not what it ought to be here's our second point this morning point number two is this can you see past your idols can you see past your idols an incredulous group of people realize this man can see they're kind of trying to figure out in verses 8 through 12 whether or not this is really the guy and uh this this man this man who was born blind is one of my favorite characters in the bible 
He's just a little salty, and I like that. Uh, he doesn't put up with much, and I, I like that. In fact, he's dunking on the Pharisees left and right. I love it. You can tell he's met Jesus. He's given the Pharisees the what for. But these people are, are sort of frustrated. They don't believe it's really him. And he keeps saying to them, I am the man. You know, you can quit talking amongst yourselves. I am he. So we learn that there's controversy then among the Pharisees. Is Jesus a sinner or is he from God? Now, let's just do pros and cons. Here's the evidence that he's a sinner. He healed a man born blind on the Sabbath. Right? He did this on the Sabbath. He healed somebody on the Sabbath. There are other little uh, rabbinical rules. These are not directly in the Bible. There are other rules defining what work is on the Sabbath. What, another thing you're not supposed to do on the Sabbath is knead. K-N-E-A-D, like kneading bread. And apparently that counts to these Pharisees, not only that he healed this man, but also he kneaded a, a spittle mud pie on the Sabbath. Right? So he's, he's broken the law. He must be a sinner. Well, there's, there's the cons. Here are the pros, that he's not a sinner, that he's from God. Well, he healed a man born blind on the Sabbath. He performed this amazing miracle. And you can guess who, what the blind man thinks. He was blind, now he can see. He believes this man is a prophet, we learn in verse 17. So then they decide, they, they don't like the answers they get from this guy. So in order to discredit the miracle, they may say, well, let's just make sure this guy was really born blind. So they drag his parents in, still not believing he was born blind, and the parents testify that he was born blind. Verse 23, for fear they'll be punished for the truth, they defer back to their son when asking who did it. I don't blame them, I understand. Pharisees then drag him in, and when it says, give glory to God, that's a way to say, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So they're implying that he hasn't been telling the truth, and that it's time to fess up. They say, we know that this man is a sinner, so give glory to God. Give the answer before God that is the truth. We know what the answer is. Go ahead and tell us. The man's answer is wonderful. Verse 25 whether he is a sinner, I do not know, but one thing I do know, that though I was blind, I now see. They press him even further. He gives another great answer in verse 27. I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Now he's just having fun. Giving him a hard time. Well, you guys are really interested in this guy, aren't you? They then appeal to their connection to Moses, right? Say so they don't know where Jesus is from. In other words, they want to know where he's from. Where, that way they can determine his credentials. They need credentials to verify that he's performing miracles. And then the man decides he's had enough of making fun of them, and he's going to take them to church. Listen to what he says in verses 30 through 33. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. He's mocking them. You're supposed to be the religious authorities, and there's this guy. You don't even know where he's from, and he's able to make me see. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born in utter sin and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Do you see what they're doing? They're hearing the truth, 
and simply choosing to ignore it. They're pridefully kicking them out. They have idols. They're idolizing their religious knowledge, their own self-righteousness, and their own authority in spiritual matters. The irony here is that the blind man can see the truth. The blind man can see, but the religious leaders are blind. Each and every one of us in this room, in one way or another, is an idolater. Here's some ways that you can know that you're idolizing something. When you're prideful, when you're unwilling to face truth that you don't like, when you're angry, when you have to face the truth, when you're unwilling to budge on man-made tradition, when relationships are broken based on things that are trivial matters, you've got an idol on your hands. And here these men are doing all these things. They're showing pride. They're unwilling to face truth they don't like. They're angry when they're contradicted, even when the person's right. They're unwilling to budge on man-made tradition, and they're willing to just send this man away, to kick him out, to kick his parents out, if they have to hear what they don't want to hear. It's because they idolized themselves. When the one true God, the one true God, Jesus Christ himself, stands able and willing to help them see. Can you see the work of God? Can you see past your idols? And finally, can you see that Jesus is the Christ? Can you see that Jesus is the Christ? Listen to this last encounter with this man in Jesus. Jesus hears he's been kicked out, so he goes and finds him and says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? That's a messianic title. Verse 36, he answered him, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? 37, Jesus said to him, You have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And what did he do? He worshipped him. Seeing Jesus and seeing that Jesus is the Christ leads us to worship. This man, Jesus said, for judgment, verse 39, I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. You see, seeing Jesus... Catching a glimpse of Jesus gives true sight. I ask you this question, who are you worshiping? But also, through what lens do you see the world? Are you understanding all of reality in terms of the gospel? But also, seeing Jesus and seeing that Jesus is the Christ calls for a response. These Pharisees overhear him and they say, are we also blind? And Jesus says to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see your guilt remains. Brothers and sisters, you're a, at a Baptist church. Many of you probably grew up hearing the gospel preached week in and week out. Some of you may just simply be watching online or listening at home. But at any rate, one way or another, today you've seen who Jesus is. Jesus is the Christ. You've heard from his word. And so I want you to know this, that seeing Jesus calls for a response. Seeing Jesus calls for a response. You have tasted and you have seen. What will you do now? Jesus said, if you were blind, if you had never seen any of these things, if you had never heard the truth, you might be innocent. But since you say you see, and brothers and sisters, my guess is that you see. My guess is that you have heard. What then will you do now? What will your response be? Be. My 
hope, my prayer, my admonition to you today is that you, once seeing Jesus, that you would embrace Jesus in faith. That you would put your trust in Christ. That you would do exactly what this man did. He quit seeing only what he was limited by. He quit seeing that and he had his eyes open to see Jesus and he put his trust in him. But the Pharisees who had seen God, quote unquote, their whole lives were blinded to who Jesus is and yet still held accountable. Today I ask you, what do you see? I hope you see Jesus. What will you do about it? I hope you'll put your faith in Him. I want to offer an invitation this morning. First of all, if you're an unbeliever, if you've never trusted Christ for the first time, I want to give you the opportunity this morning to trust Jesus. I I, I hope and pray that as you hear this truth that Christ died for your sins and on your behalf, that you'll put your trust and faith in Him. Turn from your sins and repentance and put your faith in Jesus. Second of all, you may be a believer. You may not be living out this radical sight like you should. This altar is open to you today. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. I'd love to talk to you about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for his gospel. And God, we thank you today for this opportunity we have, Father, to gather together as your people, to hear your word, Lord, to celebrate your good gifts. But God, most of all, we pray today that we will be able to see, to see Jesus. And God, once we've seen him, Lord, would you grant us by your grace faith to embrace him. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.